Well, I think I really like that with what you're saying about sport because um, sport's unpredictable. And, you know, like when we do a workout, we can predict where the pain point comes or where the struggle is going to be, and we can help them over strategize for that. And sport, um, it's, it's you random. Don't. You it's gotta... random. And so you have to adjust on the fly, you have to troubleshoot on the fly. And a lot of that, we don't have an effect on that. Like in the middle of the basketball game, you can't, as a parent, stop your child and make sure they're okay and give them high fives. Like we're hoping that the skills that we teach them will translate into making those decisions to overcome the obstacle. Yeah, it's like you're trying to get prepared enough for the unknowable, you know, but you're going into that sport knowing that it could be random, but you're going to rely on all the work you put in advance to kind of get you through that situation, you know, even though it's not so specific on what you train for, yeah. but just your, you know, preparedness will give you that confidence kind of react to it. And if it's not, then like come back to the drawing board, just not right that he says you either you either win or you learn so like if we come out of it and we let our emotions get to us in that game then we should be humble enough to self-reflect on that moment of of weakness and and hope that we can uh catch that next time so it doesn't you know affect us again and again right because the goal is to find weakness and improve on it. It's not like to always be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way you can find weakness is to right put it through the fire. Fire refines gold. Like that's, I think, our initial combo with sport. Sport puts you through the fire. There's no other thing that will make you more uncomfortable uh, in, in in a situation that's unknown until you're actually in it. And, uh, and that's why I think. As individuals, we're so successful because we're just translating that the the game of the sport into the like the game of life. Like we know that that that's just part of it. Yeah, like you're making yourself vulnerable by just throwing yourself into the fire. You know, you're not sitting back on the sideline just thinking about doing it. It's you're doing it. Who cares if you mess up or you choke? You know, then it's back to the drawing board to to prepare for next time of not making that same mistake. Yeah. That's good, man. It's really good. Let's get this uh let's get this real really rolling. Episode 16, we're coming back with another five questions that we couldn't fit in on our last episode. It's basically commonly asked nutrition questions. I don't think these are the end all be all, but it's a good start to get the conversation going. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's a perfect time to do a two-part series for something so important as nutrition. You know, it's something so overlooked. We talk about it all the time. Uh, People consider a good coach as a movement specialist, but I think we're taking that next step, digging a little bit deeper, and what should be so important on the totem pole is nutrition. We can't neglect it. We can't deny it. Uh, The... uh the, the thing that stood out to me last time was we don't want people to be fit and fat. Like, because we know it can happen. We've seen it. Like, people are improving physically. They're moving faster, getting stronger, better equipped at movement. But
but are they seeing body composition changes? Not everybody does. You would assume that if those three variables improve, that so would your body composition, but that's the, 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 the data shows that that's not the case, that people can can improve their fitness without improving their body comp. We want we want best of both worlds. No doubt, and you need it. And these people are signing up for the gym not to really just you know get a better time on their workout, but that's you know the the true reason probably signing up is to look a little bit better, get more confident, change their body composition. No doubt, and we want to be clear and honest with our members and with individuals that aren't seeing that progress because it could be an uncomfortable situation. We talked about. Uh, like the internal process, our convo earlier before we started the podcast, which is like uh, we are trying to draw things in from the inside to uh, expose that on the outside through physicality. And the conversation of nutrition, sometimes people take it the wrong way as uh, I'm just not a worthy person because I can't figure out the nutrition or they start to feel bad about themselves where we want to make it binary. We want to make it black or white. Like what are you doing right and what are you doing wrong? Let, let's just put that on, on, on a board and then really help uh, pinpoint where we can make better decisions. Yeah, no, it's good. And like you said, you know, the, your parents, what you see in the mirror, um, you know, goes firsthand and how you feel inside, how you feel mentally, the confidence you have, the confidence you bring forth daily uh, starts with how you feel, how you look on the outside. 100%. Uh, what's that you, uh, what's that quote my wife always used, her dad used to tell her for runners? Oh, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you perform good, right? Yeah, that, that, that's like an old uh, Deion Sanders quote. Is that too. who said that? He he goes way more into depth though. He he makes it a little uh, comedic, like uh, funny. He goes, you look good, you feel good. You feel good, you play good. You play good, they pay good, or something like that. <laughs> so, that's that's, that's a, the truth. Yeah, that's a famous uh, Deion Sanders quote. And I say that all the time, too. I love it. Yeah. I love it, dude. That's why I try to keep it so fresh in the gym, man, because... No, that's why I always got the fresh uh, gym clothes. You look good, you feel good. You do, man. I need some style of points, bro. I bet you've seen me with the same clothes on week after week because um, I just feel comfortable. Uh, but I definitely could have more style for sure. A little more gym swag? A little bit more gym swag. Just take up on uh, what John's got, man. My wife just bought me all, all basically all the coaching t-shirts I have uh, in different colors without the logo and that's my new going out t-shirt bro like that's me up in my game so uh it's embarrassing i need to pick that game up getting better baby steps let's start it man you came up with uh the other five questions that we wanted to go over um we'll just kind of piggyback off off our conversations that uh we remember having from last week and then go from there so uh what's question number six question number six what is considered a low carb diet uh, this this would kind of be tricky. Um, it could be compared to you know how much you're eating now. Um, but if I were to have to sum it up into a couple of sentences, I'd say majority of your carbohydrates will be from vegetables. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not going too too crazy on the fruit. You know, no grains or anything like that. Um, and if you wanted to put maybe a number to it, I'd say maybe under thirty grams. Sure. Yeah, I would say low carb hits in that in that range, and then the uh, an excessive low carb is like that five to ten grams keto that keto diet that we were talking about last time, uh, and for those reasons, because I think they're so crazy low and unpractical long term, I think uh, we want to be careful to to entertain that conversation with people who haven't started a low carb diet at like 30, 50 grams. I uh, 
I don't think people realize how hard it is to hit those numbers until they actually try. Hitting 50 grams every single day without going over for seven days is really hard to do. Yeah, and then also, comes, like I said, it comes down to what they're eating now. You know, if someone's eating a high-carb diet and you say, hey, we got to drop it under 15, you almost go into, like, that shock. You know, it's like, you know, their body's not prepared for something like that. So it'd be doing them a disservice if you recommended them to jump on a low-carb diet when that's all they're eating right now. I agree. There's a saying that the founder right now is saying off of uh, out of CrossFit, and he says the the best way to improve your health is to get off the couch, get off the couch, and get off the carbs. And the idea is that if we can just start to slowly reduce that carb intake through uh, refined sugar and sugar, uh, you're going to get great results immediately. Uh, we just have to be able to know what those are to define those and to quantify those and slowly take them out. Yeah, and then you just got to understand it. It's not sustainable to do that something like that long term. You know, be on a super, super low diet long term uh, is, isn't going to work. You know, um, you can only sustain a super low carb diet um, for so long until it starts either affecting your performance, till your body starts adapting to it where you're not really getting any more results. Um, you know, it's not sustainable. Yeah, so for me, I, I say if someone wants to start geeking out on, on the macros, I think a, a fair baseline is 40, 30, 30 carbs, protein, fat, and then self-digest the numbers is needed, right? If we need to go higher or lower on the carbs, depending on goals and our performance, uh, are playing with these numbers. What, what's most important to me is not the number, it's the starting number. Like, let's start with a number and then self-adjust and play with these numbers versus just kind of guessing on a day. Yeah, just making it a guessing game. Cool, man. Uh, question number seven. This is this is gonna be a good one, man. We could probably ran on about this for a while. Should I have a cheat meal or should I have a cheat day? So, why is somebody asking? So, we, we identify someone on a cheat is consistently eating 80, 90 percent. I've quoted you at 99 percent uh, at some of your best days. Uh, why? why have a cheat day or meal in the first place? That's the first question. Yeah, no, it's good. It's uh, it's it's basically like, did you earn a cheat meal? You right. know, it's like, uh, you know, whenever uh, an athlete asks me, hey, can I have a cheat meal this weekend? I mean, if it's harsh or not, I don't know. But I say, do you, did you deserve a cheat meal? That's right. what I'll say. Do you deserve a cheat meal? And I've gotten laughed at a little bit because I'm being too hard on my, you know, on the athletes. But it's like, really, do you deserve it? Did you, you know, uh, get your three to five workouts in this week, you know, where you're eating, you know, good, clean food all throughout the week. Um, you know, like, yeah, did you earn it? And then what I always kind of recommend too is save a cheat meal to like a gathering, like a family gathering, a social gathering. To move that social pressure as well. Exactly. It's really good. Because, uh, you know, life happens and you want to enjoy life. You know, that's why we're, we're doing this in the first place. So if you kind of let your diet consume you, you don't have like a, you could call it a diet break as a cheat meal or, or cheat day. But um, yeah, it just comes down to like, do you deserve it? Should you have it? Yeah, that's powerful. I'm, I'm thinking of two examples, same scenarios from two different people. Somebody who's actually earned a cheat meal. It's Friday night, they're hanging out with their buddies. They have a cheat meal and they're rewarded for it. If anything, they feel great for having that because it's well earned. And then you have the other guy, the gentleman, let's just use the guy as the example, who doesn't track, who doesn't work, work out consistently and has that same meal. I can guarantee most often they feel guilty for that meal no than the other person who felt rewarded for the same exact meal. Yeah, 
No, it, it, that's a perfect uh, scenario there. It comes down to that state of mind that this cheat meal is going to give to you. You know, If you're going to feel a guilty feeling from it, you probably shouldn't have had it. But if you're like, hey, you know what? I'm so happy with my progress. You know, I'm going to earn this. I'm going to enjoy myself. You know, it's been a long time coming. You eat the cheat meal, go for it. Go for it every time. Now, so cheat meal, cheat day. I just think that for people that are using this from a dietary perspective who's earned it, um, it's much easier to come back off a cheat meal than it is for a, an entire cheat day. I think physiologically, it's much faster to come back from just one cheat meal versus a cheat day. Uh, I think you digest better. Uh, I think you remove uh, this feeling. The thing that I say with diets is the hardest thing to overcome initially is decision fatigue, is that when you're not used to being on a diet and restricting what you can or can't eat, you constantly have to tell yourself that you shouldn't be eating certain things or that you are currently removing those food groups because of the, the sake of the diet and the weight loss program. It takes a lot of decision making on a daily basis to do so. So the cheat meal, knowing the day and the time and what you're going to have, removes all that and just gives you uh, like a reset almost from this decision fatigue that you're constantly going through the first, I don't know, four to eight weeks. Yeah, no, we're definitely on the same page with that. And you'd be so surprised how far back a cheat day can set you. You know, it could jeopardize the entire week you put in of hard work and clean eating if you just binge eat for a day. And then, you know, you turn that into a cheat day, then it's turned into a cheat weekend. You know, you're going all day Saturday, then it's gonna flow into Sunday. Hey, I went pretty crazy yesterday, I'm just gonna keep it going, I'll start back up Monday. You know, it. and then, changes are if you eat like shit all weekend, your Monday workout's gonna feel like shit. So you're going from, you know, uh, just a possibility of one cheat meal, get back on track, to a cheat day Saturday, turn into a cheat weekend, turning into you feeling sluggish the next day, you sleeping in because you ate all this bullshit food, mm-hmm. um, it, it derails you. It could derail you, you know, big time. And and my biggest recommendation for people that don't track, who tend to lose it on the weekends, is to ensure that if, uh, to be able to keep them a little bit on point is to track on the weekends. If you do nothing more than track Saturday and Sunday, it will control uh, it will help you make better decisions when it comes to cheat meals because once you see those numbers, there you become a little bit more reluctant from over consuming too much. Yeah, no doubt. And then you're you're planning accordingly. You know, you're planning accordingly on what this cheat meal is going to do for you, um, when you're going to eat it, and uh, I mean, it, like you you said, it, the decision making you know it helps with that. It kind of just takes that pressure off of you to eat clean and you to make up your mind what you're going to eat and. Just basically enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, it, a cheat meal will keep you on your diet long term. Um, it, it will make your diet sustainable. It'll, because uh, it's people that go super, super yeah. strict long yeah. periods of time. And then they lose it. And then they lose it. And then just one bite of something, it's like diet's out the window. You know, I, I missed this for so long, I'm not going to go back. And the beauty, I think, the conversations that, you know, I like to have is to set that cheat that cheat meal from the get, from the first week, because those first couple weeks are the hardest. So we could say, hey, let's decide when your cheat meal is gonna be, mm-hmm. because that helps them direct focus on when that cheat meal is gonna be, versus that like that moment of weakness that comes randomly, that turns into two moments of weakness and three moments of weakness. So uh, yeah, I think we agree to one cheat meal, and if not, 
predetermined. Yeah, just come up with a strategy, and you can kind of time it out around a uh, type of workout too. You know, maybe mm-hmm. do your cheat meal Saturday, Sunday. Come in, get a hard, intense yep. workout. Try to burn it off. You know, you could kind of look at you know fueling your workout with a, you know a, a large amount of food or something like that. Yeah, and I want to be careful to help people understand that like we're not creating food disorders by saying like that the common approach is over exercise to eat like shit over exercise to eat like shit over exercise to eat like shit Can't we're not training a bad diet we're not saying that mm-hmm. we're saying that it could create a better feeling post workout to have your cheat meal uh, because uh, there's another reward system that you've put in place, which is exercise. But we're not saying that every time you work out hard, you should you could eat like you, shit. You could eat like shit. Cool. Yeah. No, yeah, we're definitely right on the same page on that. Number eight, how sh- uh, how much should I be eating? What is too much and what is too little? Uh, what's the what's Glassman say? You should eat enough to fuel performance, but not gain body fat. Yeah, or support your body fat. Support, yeah, yeah. yeah. body yep. fat. Um, and, you know, you can get, you know, multiple answers to this based on tracking or based on not tracking, you know. Yeah. You know, I don't track, so I'll go kind of just give, you know, my um, opinion on how to answer this. Uh, basically, I eat, you know, a tone full, but, you know, number one priority is what I'm eating. You know, you're right. not going to get fat from eating, you know, quality food even if it's 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 you know a lot or whatever um and also i kind of determine that on my my intense training you know or what i'm training the next day i kind of go like that you know i'll eat a little bit less on days i'm not training Mm -hmm. i'll eat a little bit more if i really get a hard workout and i'm trying to recover um and you know i i kind of just i'm not eating so crazy amounts to where I'm like uncomfortably full, you know? Um, and then I know your point of view is, you know, you track, put, put the numbers to it. Yeah. Or tracking as much as freaking checking your scale, uh, a certain day of the week. Like if somebody's gaining weight, I don't care who you are or what excuse you have, you're over consuming. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. And vice versa, if someone's losing weight, we know that they are eating under their total daily energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. It's science. It says that. Uh, it's the, the basic principle of uh, consuming less than you can, cons- or expending less than you consume in food. Uh, that can be a simple way as uh, weighing yourself once or twice a week. Um Careful not to weigh every single day. I think it can be, uh, produce some psychological effects. It can mess with you. There's so many reasons why someone can retain water or not drop that weight or oh, vice yeah. versa. Your, your weight can fluctuate like three to five pounds in a day. Crazy. Just so, water. Yeah, doing it a couple days a week I think is one to help answer that. For someone who's tracking, there's so many tracking apps. There's so many. Uh, the basic math that we use for weight loss can be a body weight times 10 to 15. So if I weigh 100, if I want to excessively lose weight, I'm going to take my body weight, 185, and times it by 10. That puts me at 1850. So I can consume about 1850 and still lose weight. That's how I know if I'm eating too little or too much. Let's say I start moderately. Uh, I don't know. What's the math on that, bro? 12. Uh, 185 times 12. 
that puts me at 2220. So let's say I start there as my baseline and I stuck to that calorie intake every single day and I didn't lose any weight. The 2220 is still too high. That's how I know I'm eating too much. So the, the protocol would be the following week, drop that down by 250. So now 1970. And for the next seven days, I follow 1970. If I start to lose a half pound to a pound, that's my magic number. That's it's a sweet working. spot. So we know it's working. I'm eating just enough. Now, now, the other reason why someone would ask is remember all questions really pertain to, to weight management and sport performance now how do i know if i'm eating too much or too little for sports performance one is do i feel like i have enough energy to do the task that mm -hmm. I, I need to do on a daily basis for training uh, the other one for me if someone's eating too much uh, is going to be bloating indigestion uh, th those those are clear signs to me that they uh, they're just over consuming or maybe the meal timing is not right they're eating way too much too soon pre-training yeah uh, basically if you're getting a, a negative effect from food you know food's supposed to fuel you it's supposed to make you feel good um, but if you're eating to the point where you feel you know sluggish or, or um, like shit afterwards your chances are you're overindulging and you know another point on the performance side um, like you said, if you're under eating and you're, you don't feel like you're performing as well in that specific workout, you know, even afterwards, if you feel sore, you feel beat up before even getting into your next training session, if you're not recovering, you could be under eating, you know, so not just on the performance aspect, but the recovery aspect as well. Yeah. It just remind me of a quote where like, uh, people on a diet think of, uh, or excuse me, people looking to lose weight look as food as diet and exercise, where athletes look at food as training and, and, and fuel, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, or food for fuel. And there's a huge difference between the two. And in a perfect world, I want everyone looking at food from a training perspective and a food for fuel perspective, uh, because it's much easier to have, there's more translation into, or more purpose, excuse me, to why we're having these combos or thinking about food and exercise or training, where exercise feels like it's more temporary. They're only exercising for now. They're only dieting for now because it's temporary. But really, hopefully, we want to we want to make everyone believe that they're an athlete to some level because now we can change the psychological perspective as well. Yeah, and then it also you talk about it like that, you're kind of telling them it's long term. This is a lifestyle. This is what you have to do, you know, what you're going to do long term. Cool, man. Um, let's roll right into the next one. Uh, this could kind of go, you know, right along to our previous point. How many meals should I eat in a day? Why are you asking? Why are you asking? It depends. <laughs> All right. Uh, my biggest go-to on how to answer that one is what is your schedule like? Mm. You know? Practicality. I yeah. like that. Um, if you're working crazy hours, like when do you have time to eat? You know, when can you eat consistently? Uh, and whether you have to food prep in advance or whatever the case may be. Um, but obviously, there's definitely not one size fits all on the quantity of meals you're, you're eating in a day. Yeah, I think most often people miss breakfast just because they're not hungry or they get up last minute to go to work or train. So they indirectly fast, right? We talked about this, that most mm -hmm. people fast and they don't even know it. So at, at something like that, they might only consume two meals a day, right? And it works for them. Some people missing that breakfast is the worst thing they can do because it's those are the people that overindulge, right? They overconsume way too much 
uh, on their third meal of the day, which is like nine, 10 o'clock at night. And so those people I'm a little bit more careful with uh, suggesting the tour meals um, as well. I think athletes, more athletes with more training, they're eating a lot more meals because they're, they're, they're consuming, right? food for fuel so they're thinking what can i eat to train to fuel my my training and then what can i eat as food to fuel my recovery and so they're just consuming more yeah and it comes down to our our point first is uh you know it what matters more is overall calorie intake you know not the the timing of the meals yeah the like that graphic that I shared, I think on social media the other day on the stories, which is basically there's a guy uh, and he shows the graphic of someone who eats two meals and three meals and four meals a day, but the total intake of all of them is 2,200 calories. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter, right? If If you're on a caloric diet and you fix that number, then it doesn't matter how many meals you eat a day as long as you don't go over the number. Yeah, it's that number, whether you're eating five small meals every two hours or eating two meals, you know, six hours apart. And that goes to that last uh, uh, piggyback question, which is, can I eat at night, right? Mm Because basically what they're saying, could I have it, like what I hear inside that, because it's such a commonly asked question, is uh, could I have an extra meal, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, it it depends. Are you tracking calories? And does that meal after tracking calories put you over? Then I would say no. I'm not saying don't eat at night. I'm saying you need to make up calories somewhere else if you want to have that late, late night meal. It's not that late meals make you fat. It's that the late meal puts you excessively over your caloric intake. Yeah, and then that comes down to the first point on what's your schedule like. If you prefer to eat later at night because you're busy during the day, yep. just you know plan accordingly. You know that That's what works for you. You know, if uh, if you're someone that works to, pretty late and you can't get to dinner around eight or nine o'clock, yep. But you know, um, your chances are you're not eating early, so mm-hmm. that's that's the time for you to eat. If you're hungry, eat. You know, you you can't deprive yourself. Um, that's all it comes down to it. And chances are, if you're hungry later at night, uh, you probably got some more calories to eat anyways. Because um, if you weren't and you were already at that number, you probably wouldn't be hungry. Right. And again, the numbers don't lie. Like, the the late night meal is not causing you to gain weight. It's the everything you're eating all together, all together. It's total. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last but not least, because uh, this is a good one, because I think it's relative. What should an ideal plate of food look like? Uh, just to make it as simple as possible, I'd say majority of your plate should have protein and produce. Protein and produce. Yep, some so for a PNP. Yep, some form of meat, some type of, ve- of vegetable, a decent amount of it. Okay, and then you can kind of throw in all the other stuff after. That uh, reminds me of our the four words of nutrition that we write: eat meat and vegetables. Yeah. Like if people just did that, produce and protein. Mm-hmm. Like if they just did that, that's three words. That's even better. Mm-hmm. Produce and protein. If they just did that, ninety percent of the time. We wouldn't have to deal with these I questions. I know. I, that, that's how I keep it so simple. Pick a meat, pick, pick a vegetable, and cover your plate with it. So if someone has a problem, we could tell the majority of the time they're not doing protein and produce. It's that simple. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say I it's love that. You know, mostly paleo, right? Because that's you know, whole foods. It's just people get away from that, and yeah. then they run into problems, and they 
they come up, hey, is this shake healthy or is this protein bar healthy? They're or, looking for the magic pill. Or is this, you know, for breakfast I ate um, a protein bar and a thing of Greek yogurt. Like, is that healthy? Like, it's, that's not whole foods They're in losing. my opinion. You know, losing, it's like, yeah. it's it's your, you know, you're, you're, you're overcomplicating it. And maybe it's because people are a little lazy. You know, they don't want, they don't want to cook. If you don't know how to cook, you, you might struggle. You know, you might struggle unless you're, paying for some of these pre-mealed services yep. people got but yeah i mean at the end of the day just protein and produce don't overcomplicate it majority of your place should have a vegetable and a meat yeah i mean and, and there's ways to kind of piggyback on that if you're a vegan or a vegetarian you know something a protein source that's why i kind of you know I love it you can go eggs you can go you know whatever tofu i don't know what bean burgers i don't know what these vegans eat but uh yeah i mean some that's lots of protein and some vegetables uh man i wish people would just follow through on that uh because really that's the heart of the matter people are just over consuming the wrong foods it's really what it comes down to with everything yeah i mean it's square one it's the absolute basic you know like if eat meat and vegetables like the athlete should not have a rebuttal on that what about this what about that like is it a meat is it a vegetable? Is it protein? Is it produce? Yeah. I love it. Let's leave it there. That was part two. We'll probably come back in another month or so and do this all over again with questions that piggyback off of these. Uh, yeah, man, I enjoyed it. Keep them coming. Keep it simple. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Protein, produce. Uh, and let everyone stick to your goals. Are you an athlete? Are you are we trying to deal with these questions as an athlete? Are you looking at this from a weight management perspective? I think you need to get honest with yourself and making sure that what you're putting into your body is producing the results that you want. Love it, man. Peace. Peace, guys.